check one two that's nice eh nice. <laughs> yeah feels epic yeah i try to i try to make it uh, sound epic um anyway hello everybody good evening uh, let me introduce our guests tonight. Uh, we have Tim Savier from Manmade Mastering. What's up, Tim? Joining us from Berlin. Hello, hello. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. It's been a while, Tim. It's been a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this is a, a nice way to catch up. So um, good to see you, man. And um, Kevin is here joining us from New York City. Uh, Kevin, welcome back. He's been on the show before, so thanks, thanks for joining nice us, Kevin. To be back. Yeah, good to see you too. And Miguel uh, Tadeo uh, joining us from uh, Spain, uh, Madrid, right? Or yeah, Madrid. Clo clo close to Madrid or Madrid? Yeah, okay. No, Madrid, Madrid. Okay, Madrid. good to see you too. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, basically. I thought, you know, it would be nice to have um, uh, some people together who are both very skilled musicians as well as people who have very much knowledge about the art of mastering, which is a deep and um, mysterious art <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with lots of things that people don't understand or have questions about. And saying that, if any of you who are watching this on YouTube or uh, Twitch uh, have any questions for our guests tonight, uh, specifically about mastering, because we get a lot of questions all the time about mastering. Um, so this is your this is your chance. Oh, Tim is uh, chickened out. I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said that. You know. <laughs> anyway, he'll be back. He'll be back. So. Um, can so you maybe. Hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, but we yeah, there's the... something there's something in front of your camera or something. I don't know. Yeah, the webcam is. Um... I bought this fancy schmancy HD <laughs> webcam and um, well, it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to work with, with Apple products. So you know what? I'm just going to switch yeah, to yeah. the old blurry camera. So here we go. Well, but that, that black is very HD. I mean, it's some really high definition. <laughs> black. <laughs> yeah. It's Let's mysterious too. So yeah, you can choose to just to, to keep it like this. Anyways, um, yeah, I see a lot of friends dropping in. Our friend uh, 30 Drop is here, Sergio, Robin, Kampschur, um, Split Radix, you know, so. Oh, here we go, Record Collector Special. Actually, um, yeah, maybe, but we're also going to talk about music and mastering and whatever. Um, hello, everybody. I see people dropping in, so just hello to everybody who's, uh, who's joining us. Anyway, let's uh, let's get stuck in. Maybe uh, Tim will come back soon. Hopefully, um, I was gonna. Uh, yeah, first of all, uh, ask you know what is the most important asset in uh, a mastering studio? What is the most important thing? I think it's um, <clears throat> the space. Right. I got uh, to have a correct listening. And perhaps the the monitors, perhaps the the, the isolation in the wall, and the, to cancel reflections, 
all this kind of stuff about to to have a proper listening. No, I think that is the first because okay. I know a lot of people did that have really great tools, really great um, outboards, but don't listen the the music fine in the don't have a, a good sweet spot in the in the studio, and that is really really critical for me. Yeah, so more, you would say the fu- that would be the fundamental thing for you, just the listening yeah. environment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Would, you, would you agree with that, Kevin? Um, I would agree that that's important. I would agree that that's actually, of course, it's essential. You know that that the room is the proper place to hear everything. Um, I would say that if there was one thing that's more important in a mastering studio, it's yeah, you're here. Yeah. Right? Like, well, you know, and I mean, I know it sounds like kind of a, a corny old man joke, but I think that um, this is why uh, your choice of the mastering engineer that you choose for your music should be more about who it is than what gear they have. Because someone who has, you know, only been working in this field of music for, I don't know, three, four years. Maybe they don't have the experience of listening to the music in the studio and then taking that. Let's say, I mean, we're all working in techno, right? Like, you know, and, and Miguel, you and, uh, and Tim, who is coming back in a minute and, and myself, we're all people who have spent, you know, 15, 20 years working on music in the studio, then taking it to the club and listening and then taking it back into the studio and going, okay, well, it sounded like this there. So how do I get that? And then also, you know, playing things in a club and recognizing which things really go off and which things fall a little flat and which things a little, a little more of this. And so I think that, you know, the, the, in fact, more important than the ears is the brain, right? The experience that you have of understanding what you hear. But, but Miguel, you're absolutely right that even that is, useless if they're listening to it you know they're if they're mastering on an iphone right or in like a a pair of crappy headphones so it it's it's all of those things combined but my thing is and this is you know i i I wish he was here to to join us in this part of it but all of my first records were mastered by tim Uh, uh and and tim taught me a lot about um what to listen for and and what mattered and i trusted him because I owned his records. I knew his music. I, you know, respected his reputation. And so if he said it needs to be more like this, I trusted him. And I think that the trust of that relationship uh, is the choice that you make because, I mean, somebody with a lot of money can buy a lot of expensive gear. You know, anyone can own a Ferrari, but who do you trust to drive the Ferrari (laughs) is is a good question, right? Okay, I see so, Tim. Yeah, 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 yeah. There hey, he is. Hey. Okay, okay. Sorry about that. No it's worries, like, no worries. Oh, you still look great, man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, maybe a little bit low, lower depth, but um, you sound fine and you look great. So I think my, yeah, no, my, microphone, my microphone still works, but my fancy webcam, it's toast. Bye. Oh, well. Okay. Who cares? Um, yeah, we were. I don't know if you followed the, the I conversation. Heard, um, I heard Miguel's answer about um, the room and the environment. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I mean, I agree with all of you. Um, it's the ears. It's definitely the speakers and it's definitely the room. I know that, you know, I've mastered some 
tracks or different bodies of music in different rooms and then have heard them out on different platforms, um, mainly loud systems or, or, you know, loud speakers. And perhaps, you know, like the biggest culprit is too much low end, you know, so to be able to really judge low end extension as it pertains to how it's going to react on a loud system is like super important for me. Um, At man made, we're, you know, we've, we've done a couple different acoustic builds. Um, The, the new build that we're going for is we've hired uh, Northward Acoustics. So we're, we're going to build the Northward rooms, um, which I feel very lucky to announce. What, uh, what does that mean? Um, Northward is a company uh, run by a guy, a Belgian guy named uh, Thomas, engineer Thomas. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Thomas Jean Jean. Um, very, very, very cool down to earth, uh, acoustician. He got his start in like the early two thousands and, you know, he's really a problem solver and in building, um, the different environments for, uh, mastering engineers along the way, he's really done his research and plugged in to how the panels are built and the materials and the, the shape of the space itself. And I mean, it wasn't until a couple of years ago, I was kind of not a naysayer, but someone who was kind of like, you know, if you're a skilled engineer, you should be able to work in multiple environments, which is kind of true. But, you know, at the end of the day, these rooms are like really nice one to one rooms. So we're building a, a main uh, FTB room front to back. Um, so it's supposed to have like a really nice uh yeah one-to-one sound i i had the 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 pleasure of listening in one of these rooms um just uh here locally in berlin and i was completely blown away and then he's also building an edit room which will house the 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 record cutting lathe which is also good for mastering um we did our research and we contacted a studio in new york called bunker just to see what they thought of the editing room And it's more of like a rock outfit. And the rock guys were like, working in the editing room is like working. It's almost like better working than in most rooms they've worked in before. So, you know, I'm quite excited about it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of things. I don't, I don't subscribe to this, like, I've got the secret weapon piece of gear that's going to change everything that that doesn't really exist for me. You know, um, different clients have different needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree on the on the acoustics thing that um, a room with um, less perfect acoustics will uh, will make it harder to make out what exactly is going on, what what you are listening to. Although I do think you can get used to the to to True. imperfect rooms, you know. Uh, once you, I mean, I think the most important thing is um, uh, I'm not talking from a mastering perspective, but just uh, from you know the phenomena of really being able to tell what's going on you know like being able to judge exactly what's going on um it's uh it is just uh yeah uh, it you tend to use less uh eq or less uh, modifications on the sound if if you can actually really hear what's going on i mean the the worse your room sounds the more you tend to do to to make it right and 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 ultimately that's not what you're doing at that moment you're just and it fucking, can give fucking you, the sound off <laughs> yeah i mean it, it can give you some wonky results all all, mm. 
I'll say like, for instance, your, your store concept, I think is really cool. For instance, if I were to go and do a DJ set, like just for fun in a room, I wouldn't do it in an acoustically treated room. I would prefer yeah. to do it in a place like store where you can hear the reverberation and you can really hear the music breathe, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have it sound kind of ah and raw, you know, um, the mastering rooms are for surgery. Yeah, um, and listen, but I don't know if you'd agree with me on that. Um, <laughs> I agree. I'm agree. <laughs> and how about the loudness? Oh, yay! Oh, what, what <laughs> you know, loudness? The, you mean the play? You mean playback level or loudness? You know, loud, like uh, loudness so, at the end of the mastering process. Okay, well, so maybe, I, maybe maybe first explain for you for, from uh, all of you. Um, because i think many people are are having trouble uh defining you know that most people talk about loudness and and they really don't really talk about actual loudness but they talk about peak level right but they talk about yeah. how um people are worried about uh, how how far the, the the meters are are jumping into the you know close to the zero db but that's yeah. not really loudness right so maybe you can Cornell will all explain or one of you, <laughs> I don't know, who, is, who wants to um, explain? Who volunteers? Who is the, who is... I, I, I volunteer okay. to start. Okay, <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. You Maybe know, when it, comes, when it comes down to it, for, for us, um, the number one thing is communication with the client. Mm-hmm. So a lot of clients have, a lot of artists or producers have the misconception that a bolstering track in the digital realm is somehow going to yield more rich boldness when in actuality the more you push a signal in the digital realm in the digital capsule you're actually sacrificing dynamic transients in the in the musical waveform um and today you know i mean we we measure with rms we measure with peak we measure uh with uh loudness units full scale which is lufs and these days i can i communicate to my clients i'm like hey I have mastered your tunes and you have received what I call loud dynamic masters. So they're hitting the ceiling nice and nice and tight. I mean, they're as loud as they need to be. If you need to turn it up, use the gain on the DJ mixer. Um, and then, you know, some people come back and they're like, man, I just, I need it louder. I need it louder or I need more harmonic. Uh, and then I'll send them to a link where you can actually, load a tune in and it will tell you if like say spotify or um itunes or beatport reappropriation for digital will turn your music down you know so your files will actually get reappropriated in the pipeline for sales and you don't want to like have a, a file that's too loud and then have it like reduced that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's no fun. So normally after I send them to that link, they come back and they're like, you know, you're right. It's cool. It's loud enough. And usually I'll, I'll send the client. I'll be like, look, take your tracks, put them on a key, listen to them against other mastered stuff and DJ them and see how they sound. And nine times out of 10, that then they'll realize, okay, we're cool. But I mean, my philosophy is I, I don't, I can smash tunes in the digital realm, um, with various limiter uh, styles, you know, whether it's device limiter or isotope ozone or whatever. Um, 
but I choose to get the file nice and loud and still have a waveform floating point. Yeah, and do you believe the the main problem maybe is the 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 the, the short dynamic in the mixes? This is, yeah, I, I mean, think I think this is a big problem because a lot of people asking for okay more louder, more louder, more more volume, more impact, more more everything, no? more um, everything, yeah, yeah, <laughs> more, more everything. everything, more more. <laughs> <laughs> But I I I consider really useful the 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 YouTube and the Spotify and other streaming um, platforms to 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 put in the. Uh, a limit to the to the loudness, about to keep the dynamics go on, and and, and I think the the same. We need the same for the for the club music or for the music in, in general. It isn't. Yeah, you need you need the continuity or the 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 consistency between loud yeah. for mixing. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember back in the vinyl days when you could only play vinyl. There were loud mm -hmm. records. And there were records that were low, and you had to attenuate for that as you were DJing. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, yeah. quite honestly, I mean, you could literally put on a blindfold, grab two CDJs, and just like set the gains like this, and they don't move much. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, you know, I think it's it's really about training um, people on what's appropriate or what functions properly so you know i mean over over uh maximizing a tune in yeah. the digital realm will yield less punch um, yeah but, but but you know i don't i don't i don't feel any difference between the the digital the digital world and the 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 others the others um focus in the in the, in the dynamics is the people believe okay that For example, for instance, the the master for vinyl, right? Have, the, have a dynamic, and the and the, when the people want uh, a master for 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 digital, some people turn it up the the, the limiter and reduce it, the, and that's stupid. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 stupid, and it's also a trend. So we, there are let's let's back up a little bit because. I think it's important to state that there's a process involved and maybe a lot of listeners aren't aware of this, that for, for engineers like us, we are the mastering processing is done usually in outboard gear. So you're capturing the, the transient attacks and um, all the different juju you get from the outboard gear and you're capturing it by recording back to DAW. So that, that recording, that print, is the dynamic master. It's just not maximized yet. And yeah. the last stage for me is the maximization. Um, and there, you know, there are a lot of engineers out there that will do kind of mastering for digital and mastering for vinyl. Um, <laughs> us cutting engineers, we, we can cut from the digital file. We just have to turn it down a bit. Yeah. You know, we have a trim on... Like we have a trim going, feeding to the cutter head. So it's not like if we have a loud file that all of a sudden we're a slave to the loudness of that file. Yeah, um, and that, that's break the balance mm -hmm. in, in, inside the track between the, the top M and the low end. 
This but is- I but I, I agree with you that if it were a perfect world, we could train everyone on uh, mastered for vinyl files because they are more dynamic. A mastered for vinyl file is essentially the analog recording maximized, but with more headroom. You yeah, know? but, but, but imagine that you receive a, a mix for vinyl and the mix have only six dBs of dynamic. This is usual now. Nowadays, it's, it's typical now. You mean what, what clients what clients deliver to the to the mastering uh, person? Yeah, that's what I'm I'm curious to know. Do you, do you mean do you mean when 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 the producer delivers the file to the mastering studio? Yeah, um, and there's like only plus, six dB of headroom, plus or yeah. minus six dB. Um, wow. I'm okay with that. I, I'm going to embarrass Yoakum right now. Um, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, it's really interesting because Yoakum. When when I was mastering his like more techno stuff with drums, um, uh, he would send in these files that were, um, I guess, had some limiting from outboard sources, so they were dynamic sausages. And I remember emailing Yoakum back and being like, uh, "Do you want to send me another recording that's a bit more that has you know more dynamic kind of like hats and musical parts?" And he's like, "No, no, no I want you to master that." <laughs> and what the byproduct of that is he got an even bolder sound, which I thought was kind of nice. Um, well, I mean, I've, I've done it so many ways, you know, I, I think what you were talking about was, yeah, indeed, I've, I've done some stuff, which was then, you know, for effect only, not, not to get rid of any transients, but just for, for the vibe, you know, ran through right. some, uh, some saturation kind of thing or whatever. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, um, I know what it's, what it's, what it, I mean, I've, I've been doing cutting myself, right? And I, I've learned a lot uh, about the whole process from, uh, you know, uh, recording, mixing, mastering and, 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 and cutting it uh, since then. But um, I know what the rules are or what, what is, what is normally gets the best results or how, how do you, how you can keep things in such a way that you can uh, manipulate it all the way to the end in a, in a proper way. Um, but I've also, you know, done shitloads, shitloads of music, which completely bends the rules on all these things, you know, and, um, and, you know, that's what they are for, I guess, you know, that's what rules are for. <laughs> they're, 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 they're to be broken, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I think, um, Maybe maybe it's good to talk about this this for for people who are more sort of new to this because the, there's often very much discussion also on our Discord server. But how do you? What is the best way to deliver your stuff to um, to be mastered? You know, to a mastering engineer. Kevin. Well, I I think I think one of the things that I, w- I was going to say about the the conversation about loudness that I think fits into this is that particularly I mean all four of us are coming with background and experience in the techno realm. So I'll I'll just kind of address that area primarily since that's probably most of the folks who are also paying attention or listening. Um, I think there's this among techno producers, there's this desire to win, right? They want their track to win whether it's, and, and and I think a lot of people, the perception is my track is going to win if it's really fucking loud and you know that's what that's what tim and 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 miguel are talking about and i think you know 
Tim has had had a good point, and and Miguel as well that this this isn't always necessarily winning, right? Like it may feel like the most exciting version of your track that you've heard, but it doesn't necessarily mean that when it gets to the sound system that you are intending it for, that it will actually compare to other tracks in the way that you imagine. And I think that in some ways, uh, you know, to your question, Joachim, this, this thing of like, what do producers need to know when preparing for mastering is, uh, first of all, if I could, everybody maybe step, take a step back and don't think about winning so much, but then also uh, think about the question of like the, the result that you want to achieve. Um, is it possible that there are ways to achieve the same result that maybe you could trust your engineer to deliver to you? Right. Because I think that, that, you know, and Tim said this, uh, when, when he came back on this, this, this part about communication, I, I, I really kind of, with everybody that I work with, I try to take the time to ask them for, the things that they're interested in, what matters to them. I try to also share with them some of these conversations about, um, you know, like, like Tim was talking about the loudness penalty on some of the streaming services. A lot of people who bring stuff to me are, are less interested in, in those, especially lately because Bandcamp has become so much more important uh, recently. But still, I think there's this, this question of, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? What is your end goal? Is it to get played and be the most banging track of the of the of the night in the club, or is it to like reach some people with some ideas through the framework of techno or dance music and and help them steer through those ideas? Um, I mean, I've even started um, offering services of instead of optimizing one master for vinyl and another master for digital, offering people. I can optimize one for DJs and one for streaming because there are some situations where people want to upload it to Spotify and have it served up in playlists. And they know that people aren't necessarily DJing from Spotify. They're listening to music there. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can massage things to go into um, different, uh, different directions. And, you know, of course some yeah, people, plus, plus Spotify and YouTube, they give you penalties, you know, they will just turn <coughs> yeah. down the track if it's too loud. Right. And, and, you know, if, if your goal and listen, I've done some mastering for, for pop artists and, um, and for hip hop artists as well. And they're like DJs. Why, like who, what, what DJs are you talking about? You know, they, they're not really interested in aiming for, you know, getting it played at Bergheim. Like they've never been to Bergheim. They might not even know what Bergheim is. It's irrelevant to them because they're trying to aim for 17 year old Spotify listeners who, their whole world happens through their phone and through some earbuds. And that's a very different process for mastering. And in those areas, it does matter how well it comes through on Spotify, because for a lot of people streaming, you know, we might all groan about it or, or some folks listening might roll their eyes, but for some people that is their window on the world. And right. I'm sure later in their lives, they'll probably expand to a, a wider remit of, of platforms for listening. But, you know, it is, uh, it's part of the world now and offering that opportunity to people if they want it and being willing to, to meet them there. I've also talked with other mastering engineers who say, yeah, when I'm mastering stuff for streaming, I don't even care about that loudness penalty. I don't care about the LUFS rating or, or these things. I just master to the point where it sounds good. And that's a great objective as well. Like at the end of the day, what sounds good is important and 
you know, also the client, you know, I, I, I can say, Hey, I'm an old man and I'd like a little bit more dynamic headroom because, you know, like that's what I'm used to. But somebody who's raised on, you know, the loudness wars and their experience of music with everything crushed out of it might have an idea of how they want it to work, you know? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, actually, what is what is good? Because, um, I mean, no single piece of music is is played by just itself, right? It's always, uh, or right. most of the time, sitting in the context of all other music. So, uh, well, is that... I... Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry, no, no, go, go ahead. For it. Um, I mean, I think, so if I may embarrass Kevin now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Miguel, I can't, I can't embarrass you, buddy. We've got to get to know each other. No, but I, I, I wanted to, serious, in, all serious, in all seriousness, you know, when, when Kevin came to master, we've been friends for a long time. Long when time. he came to master at Man-Made Mastering, um, okay, let's, let's, let's back up. I've been, I've been dropped before. Um, I've been dropped, and then I had to go find out why the label dropped me, and then I, you know, would contact them and go, "Hey, if, was there something wrong? I mean, is there something we could fix?" And I mean, one of one of the most heartbreaking messages I ever received was, "You know, your Tim, we respect you. Your masters just don't have the wow factor." I don't really know what that mm -hmm. means, but going back to communication, and maybe we can expand on mix down stuff because mix down is really where the magic is yeah. prior to the the recordings ever even like coming to us you know and kevin you know i he had his uh, delft label and i think we we were like three releases in and he was like you know picked up the phone one day and was like hey i i love what you're doing for the label but hey man could you could you go ahead for the next releases like we're 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 starting fresh from here can you please just like push it a bit harder and tube it a bit harder, you know, because on these outboard pieces of gear, I have the capacity to like push the boundary, as you say, break some of the rules, yeah. but I, I won't go to that place. I'll, I'll touch it, you know, mm -hmm. like I won't burn myself, but I'll touch it, mm -hmm. you know, but if the client tells me, push it hard, do this, I want it punchy as hell. You know, I'll do that. And then they get what they want. But if you don't say anything, right. you know, um, you're getting a general balanced master, which is completely based on your mix down, your acoustic, um, um, psychoacoustics in your music, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's really, I, I think like for our next website, we were thinking about actually having a section that says, please tick the boxes that best describe you know what you want like i want emollient transparent masters optimized for streaming i'm not so worried about loudness or mm -hmm. or go nuclear you know <laughs> something like that I'll, I'll add some detail to tim's story just because i i this is actually it was uh it was a specific record it was an album of mine that uh i sent the i sent the tracks to tim and Tim sent them back and I was listening to them and I was going, well, Tim did a perfect job. I, these sound perfect. But then I realized I wasn't happy with perfect because the tracks really were meant to be dirty and raw and feel kind of wrong in a way. And I, uh, 
I called Tim and I was like, Hey, I want you to fuck this up a little bit. Like, don't be so nice. That's my specialty. Like, fucking shit yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like I was like, make this sound nastier and like not necessarily louder, right? It wasn't about like, you know, just limiting the hell out of it and making it loud. It was more like, I want some dirt. Like, give me some of that dirt. Like some of the, I, you know, I know you have some like really funky tools over there. Like push them, push them into, you know, into the wrong zone and see what happens. And like the next thing I got back was, was exactly what I, what I needed. You know, I, I had the perfect, like, uh, you know, a plus master, the like high fidelity master, because Tim was doing what, you know, he was putting a lot of care and extra thought into things and trying to deliver a clean master. And I realized that that I only when I heard that, did I realize that that was what I, that, that was not what I needed. What I needed was something that was wrong. And sometimes okay, so, even so, as a so, client, you so, don't know that. Yeah. So does it happen often that that uh, clients get like uh, get it wrong what a mastering engineer actually should be doing, you know, or or can do or uh, things he is supposed to do? I like, you know, um, for example, you ex you were expecting some like transformation of the sound rather than just making it sound like industry standard or compatible with, uh, you know, most systems. Right. Does does that do you get that a lot? Miguel, for example. Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. do 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 people sometimes have yeah. too much expectation of how oh, okay. how a mastering engineer can what what a mastering engineer does? Do you, to do the you sound have to educate? Well, yeah, Miguel. Yeah, I I, I, try to, I try to I try to to destroy the expectation of the people because <laughs> my, my 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 intention always is I have um think about that is. If, if you ha if you have something in the mix, I need to take care at at, at the most of the, of this idea. <clears throat> I try to 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 be completely transparent with the with the process. Of course, I I try to fix something, some resonance or uh, our own balance in the in the low end, especially. But yes, some people. Is is hoping something different with the with the mastering and like uh, magic, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, perhaps not not magic, but perhaps sound like other people. Oh right, okay. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I, I want to, my I want my my track uh, finally sounding like the blah 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 artists and that is. is I've had that one before. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not my job. But it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. And I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, but I think that the people need more 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 info about the, the, this this job. Mm. Yeah, true. So, but Kevin, you so when when you went to Tim with that record, you really expected him to have a sound. And um, what I what is usually. Uh, what I get from from most mastering engineers is that they basically just make sure your stuff sounds compatible. And, and I think the I best didn't expect that in, in that, oh, in, right, that okay. in that particular instance. I thought that my I thought that my mixes had enough of what I was looking for, and that you know th that I was looking for some optimization. And then I got that optimization and felt like maybe they maybe there was there was something else that it that I wanted to go further into. Uh, it, mm. it wasn't that, it wasn't that I, uh, was relying on Tim to 
right. um, to give me something that I hadn't put in there. It was just that I realized that the the flavor that I was adding to things needed to be turned up to a to a higher degree, and that he was the place he was the place and the person to do it. Mm-hmm. Tim, is that, does guys, that sound? Yeah, I, I can reasonable. Art- I, you articulated it pretty well. Um, I give you an A. <laughs> um, we're all old here. Do we remember? Do you remember that that cheeky plugin called T Rex or T Rex? T Rex, yeah. The little plugin. Yeah. Well, I, I was uh, I was living in Chicago, and it was uh, the year nineteen sixty five. No, it was uh, <laughs> it was two thousand one, and I was in Chicago, and I was making like my my first techno tracks, um, like finishing tracks and 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 signing twelve inches and whatever, and we were lucky because like the labels we were working with, we were working with the exchange in London um, and we were all fans and we had no idea what was going on at the exchange, but we were like, okay, it's going over there. And the records always come back well. And the test pressing was like the thing that you approved. There was no files really involved. If you wanted a recording of their movements, which had headroom, you had to like order and pay for like a compact, like a CDR that they would send to you in the post. Um, but I remember like T-Rex, for instance, to piggyback on what Kevin's saying. And, you know, as, as a user, you would just go through the, the different presets. And, and there was the first time I ever saw the word brick wall. And I thought, who, who would want that? You know, um, <laughs> and I remember toying with the settings and hearing like this complete belled, like 500 hertz, like, <laughs> kind of almost like squanch in in the digital audio at the time and I, I found it like unappealing but nowadays it's like that you have this beautiful like whether it's class a or tube um stuff in front of you i mean you're able to over accentuate and go into what kevin calls the wrong zone um and you you get you can get these harmonic sort of um warm and a warmth and depth but a byproduct a negative byproduct of that is less uh transient slap i mean you you lose you lose attack you know and nowadays um in new not new techno but techno in general people want you to preserve that that uh those transient attacks you know they want you to approve that uh, remember miguel you were saying earlier about like faster tracks um, having like mm-hmm. faster release times um, on the instrumentation. Um, how do you? How do you? Uh, what, what's your What's your process like when when people send you tracks? You evaluate them. You maybe you write an email back, um, or do you just go for it and start start working on people's tunes? It's, it's depend depend. And actually, I'm sorry to stop you. I have another another question for you, because <laughs> we're all like producers here. Yeah, um, I was going to get to that later, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This, did I turn this into the Tim show? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm just curious because, you know, for me, like my production is like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, sometimes I master other people's stuff that's like fantastic. And, and I, you know, I listen to my own stuff and I'm like, what are you doing wrong? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but about to to master in your own music i i'm gonna start hiring someone else because apparently i'm just not very good at it <laughs> that was a, that was a joke but. 
Yeah, but, but you, you, all of you try to to mastering your own music. Yeah, that's yeah, how I, I, that's how I learned. I mean, I I learned to to start mastering by just getting demos ready to send to labels or share with other DJs. And in doing so, I started to learn what to do and what not to do. And of course I learned a lot from Tim as well. Uh, and, and that gave me the tools. And eventually I just got confident with doing little favors and dem- demos for other friends. And that was, that was a process, you know, I think, but, I think every, everybody who has been playing out has done, uh, what's called a quick master. I, you know, yeah. there's a lot of talk about, you know, eh, we'll do a quick master so I can play it on the, on the weekend. You know, I yeah. think, I think many of us have, have done that and, and played around with that, you know, and, and actually, like you said, Kevin, it's, it's something that gets you, uh, you know, it teaches you how to ki- kind of get your stuff in the ballpark, but it's, you know, just to make make sure it's loud enough or, you know, sits well with, uh, mastered records, you know, so you can Sometimes get it's the all idea. Of- Sometimes it's all it's you all need. it needs. Yeah, true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I've I had agree. clients. I've had yeah. clients send me stuff, and I, I'm you know the mix is so good that I'm looking for things that I can do, other than just make it louder because sometimes the mixes are so perfect that I feel like anything I do to this is going to subtract from what's already beautiful and perfect here. I mean, that's rare. That's very rare, and and I but I I spend as much time on those trying to make sure that I've looked at every or listened to everything as I would on tracks where there's very obvious problems that I'm trying to fix or compensate for. But yeah, sometimes the answer, you know, you're you're there to look at or you're there to examine and listen to people's music and figure out what it needs. But sometimes the answer is finding out what it doesn't need. It doesn't need to go so loud. It doesn't yeah. need a lot of extra Q- EQ. It doesn't need this or saturation or that. And in those instances, you know, I'm handing something back that's louder and just telling them, "Hey, you did a you did a great job." And <laughs> you know, I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that I didn't have to do anything. And I think most people usually end up feeling satisfied with that result anyway. There's nobody who feels like they didn't get what they paid for when their master still sounds awesome. Mm. Well, right. I mean, that's part of the job is that you're you're essentially what is it? When you're DJing, you're being paid to travel. When you're mastering, you're essentially being paid to listen to people's music. And my my partner, Mike Grinzer, who is an absolute surgeon in the mastering studio, you know, he he's got on me a couple times, which is fine because I respect him. And he's like, man, Tim, you know, you gotta like sit and listen. You got to sit and listen. You can't, like we used to do in the record store, you can't just needle drop over someone's tune. You know, you got to like sit there and listen to it and digest it and understand what, 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 what they mean, you know? Yeah. So what's the, what is the, typically the first thing you do? So you get, you get this track, you start playing it and then what? Is it something like, ah, oh, shit, there's this massive resonance around 500 hertz. I'm going to get rid of that straight away. Or are you playing the whole track, track through or... Are you flavoring it first, you know, pushing it into some saturator or are you, you know, dipping the roll, rolling off like everything on under 20 hertz? What, what is the first thing you do? What is what is the the do you, is there a typical uh, process like an order to things or is it just messing around until you get it right? Uh, Miguel, I want to hear from Miguel. Yeah, yeah okay. that's <laughs> I, I have a, I have a, a first chain and. At, at the beginning, I tried to to obtain a good balance between frequencies. 
perhaps later I recover the, the transients with a, a really slow compression with a BCA, We're trying to recover the punchy sound. But what do you mean recover? If if you get a really flat uh, sausage mix? <laughs> yeah, because you know uh, the people don't have care with the transients. Yeah. They, they go to compress everything. Everything is compress it and I try to obtain a little more position than the, the listening with the, with the, with the attacks um, later it depends <laughs> I, perhaps I can start to work in a MS process about to remove no necessary frequencies in the low end for the stereo mid-side yeah mid-side yeah. Um, but especially, I don't use more than one one point five dBs in any process. Mm. Try to to keep everything really focused. Trying to to keep in the 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 the, the, the original idea. Now because it's, it's really easy to push up the the, the the knob and everything start to 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 sound great. But later it's, it's not correct. You, you you can lose a lot of things in, and I don't know I, I use a lot of EQs not too much compressors not too much um, distortion units and I try to use at the, at the end of the chain always a, a, a digital limiter but to keep really really control the, all the all the peaks that can 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 shot in, in several ways, and I I don't know. Perhaps the, the the most important in all the process are is not I I I, I do everything in, in the box. I don't use external elements, um, and I try to 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 keep the the most important plugin is my my decisions. <laughs> I like that. That's a fantastic yeah. answer. Yeah, because because you know you, you can you can buy the the the, the a great plugin or a great outboard compressor or but if you push too much or you sell at the incorrect frequency, you are destroying the the the, the world. It's like putting on too much perfume or cologne. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're like I can yeah. taste that. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I, I will also admit that, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, I, I I also worked all in the box pretty much. And yeah, I, I, I subscribe to that. Like your your most important secret weapon are the decisions you make, for sure. Yeah. Say, saying hi to Kyle. Kyle Geiger just dropped in saying hi. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, coming, uh, he's, he's coming to destroy the party here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I agree, and 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 Miguel, that's a that's a really great way of putting it, right? That that your decisions are are the important thing, and yeah, you know, back to the other part, right? Like doctors have a saying: uh, first, do no harm. You know, if you're if you're destroying something good about the track that you're working on, um, then you're you're not doing a good job as a mastering engineer, and and if you're doing something that the track doesn't say that it needs. I think, you know, some people have asked like, oh, what's your, 
you know, what's your mastering chain? And honestly, my answer every time is it's never the same. It's, it's never, I, I don't have a set, you know, order of things. Now there's a lot of times where I find that certain orders repeat themselves or certain tracks tend to need a lot of the same things, but I never call up like, okay, here's the mastering chain. Boom. We're just going to send it through this. It, like then, you know, somebody could cr- come up with their own preset. You know, there's, there's websites yeah. where you can, yeah, exactly. There's websites where you can upload your track and the, the, you know, the, the robot will do it for you. I mean, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's paying me to be a robot. And, and if my, if my treatment of tracks starts to become too robotic, then I'm putting myself out of business because really what people are coming to me for is the thought and the decision, like you said, Miguel, and, and the, the concern and the care for all of the, all of the extra elements. Yeah. I think uh, the number of tools that you need to use, it's depend about the mix down. Mm-hmm. If, if you receive a really good mix down, you'll need a limiter for push the signal and EQ for rebalance, the curve of listening. And that's all. Same. But, but when, when you receive really crap mixes, you need to put one EQ, one compressor, another EQ, one, one distortion, another EQ, another compressor, another <laughs> to try to push everything for obtain something, something, I don't know, something <laughs> regular. Her. <laughs> See, I, I have I, I have a client who is a good producer who will remain nameless, um, and their mixes are it's a me. little. No, it's not you. <laughs> um, I, I then I would have embarrassed you, but like, um, <laughs> but no, um, uh, this this one client like his his tunes are a little eccentric. Let's say that you know they're wonky would do no service, but and. Um, this person's stuff requires a, a lot of uh, slight resonant notching, uh, mid-side EQing, compression modeling, and maybe some outboard like amp stuff. And I swear to God, every single time I do the masters, the A and B is like night and day. And the person's like, so what do I do to make my mixes better? And, you know, on one hand, you're kind of like, well, you should kind of keep doing what you're, what you're doing. Mm. And on the other hand, you're like, you could pay attention to these areas. But at the mm. end of the day, that's one of those jobs where the tools are there for you to actually use, mm. you know, and the, the, where they make a difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my signal chain, my, my signal chain is always the same routing I just have the choice sure. of what I what I want to punch in, yeah. Um, and it's always like the the listening um, the listening part, and then I have um, we work in Magic Sequoia, so there's like a digital chain inside, cutting off twenty hertz, seventeen point eight kilohertz, or maybe twenty, depending on what I'm working on. Um. And there's the you know the internal uh, chain, and then there's outboard stuff where I'll do the analog work, and when I get the recording the way I like to, you know, when I'm finally satisfied, then I'll record, mm-hmm. and then everything after that is just the 
the digital finalizing part. But yeah. there are some jobs, for instance, like uh, other producers who will remain nameless, who use all gear, like all outboard stuff. And it behooves me as an engineer to master their stuff all in the box versus right. in the outboard gear because yeah. the all in the box processing yields a better result because all the flavor is already in there right yeah yeah mm. so i mean i guess at the end of the day you know like like a doctor would never prescribe chemo to someone with the common cold you know i mean <laughs> well said <laughs> I, I i would I, i wanted to get back to something that um that yokum had asked And we kind of went around it, but I think maybe it would be worth to address a few things very specifically. Um, Joachim, you asked, like, what are some things that um, that everyone, especially people who are kind of um, emerging or, or growing as producers and trying to learn, what are things that they should know before um, sending to a mastering engineer? And there's a few that are on my mind, and Tim and Miguel, you guys definitely please add yours and jump in, but... One thing that I would always say is be very careful of your hi-hats. I, I, this is a very common thing that I get where I get tracks that have a really loud kick and a really loud hi-hat and this sort of weird zone in between. And, um, and that can be and, – and honestly, if your kick is too loud, that's easy to fix. But if your hi-hats are too loud, that's much harder to fix And uh, and I would always advise people to take a step back, turn down your head, your hi hats, because I can always turn them up. It's much easier for the mastering engineer to boost things than it is to <clears throat> cut back whole bands of frequencies. It's particularly because hi hats are kind of broad spectrum; they're noisy. They have a lot of different frequencies together, so it's hard to pinpoint specific areas. I mean, you can use a de-esser if you've got hi-hats that are really hot, but the truth is, is that they won't do more than just like a few peak frequencies. Um, I would also say, you know, and this is something that, um, that Tim and I have talked about and, um, I'll let Tim embarrass me again here by, because there was a time where I sent him some masters for one of my clients, uh, to cut to vinyl. And he was like, Hey, you need to give me a little bit more space, uh, you know, uh, at the very first transient. And I realized I was I'd forgotten that, you know, sometimes, so this is something that sometimes I'm tempted to, to even tweet about, um, and, and, and do the thing that people do on Twitter, which is complain. Um, but, uh, just to let everybody know that it's really, really helpful for a mastering engineer. If when you're exporting something that there's, you know, maybe one second or half a second before the very first sound, because, um, a lot of people are, exporting things from Ableton. A Ableton is, I think, probably the most, the, most yeah, the most predominant DAW. And it tends to cut off that very first transient. And a lot of times I'll get a pre-master where the first kick drum sort of sounds like somebody put a muffle over it. And then everything else is good, but it's like the first kick drum is the very first second that you have for your listener. Even if, it's, even if the crowd won't hear it, but just the DJ will hear it, it's the very first chance for you to have an impact. So preserve that very first transient by giving a little space ahead of it. Um, so, yeah, those are the two. And then, of course, yeah, all the other things we've talked about with headroom and compression and, and space. But, but 
too high, too loud hi hats, and too soon a start point for your track. Those things, and also like I don't understand, but uh, there's a very big trend. Uh, I've even had artists ask me to keep it this way that they want the track to literally end abruptly while the music is still going. It's just like like someone turned off the power in the middle of the track. I, that's a very common thing. I'm I'm not exactly sure where that uh, comes from, but that's. That's the thing. I mean, that's less to me. That's less problematic than having your first transient uh, swallowed. Those are two yeah, things. That I I I use I still use SoundForge, so I'll I'll add two hundred milliseconds at the end if the track ends abruptly, and then zoom in and find that where the waveform ends. And usually there's a little pop, and you have to mm. set a marker, and you just yeah. select. And do a quick, like a really fast fade. Yeah. And then at the beginning, if the kick's like, you know, um, you get yeah. like this, the, the thuddy kick. Yeah. If depending on the track, you can go to the second bar and just, just copy it over. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll do it and I won't even say anything. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I try to always be really transparent with my clients and tell them like, hey, you know, if you have like a minute, I I, I can work right. on another job right now. If you could just go and do this for me, it's going to save both of us this time. Because the other thing that happens a lot, and this is the other thing, actually, the biggest issue I have with everybody, um, when you send me your stuff, make sure it's your final version. Because like, right. one thing I really can't stand is clients who get the thing back and they're like, oh, it sounds great, but I realized that my snare is too loud now. So I'm going to send you a new mix and don't do any other work. Just send it through the same channel. And it's like, well, no, that does mean a lot more work for me. And, you know, I'm happy to help, but I'm not your mixing consultant. Like, I'm not your monitors. I am the last step in the chain. So before you send it to me, do all the tests, do all the rough masters, and then put it in your car or you know, in your headphones and send it to your friends yeah. and be sure that this is the track. This is the, this is the file that you want to master. And I try to be nice to people and, and be flexible, but sometimes, you know, there might be some mastering engineer that you're going to encounter. That's going to be like, sure, I'll do that for exactly the same fee that I charged you one more time. You know, like, cause I mean, that point, might, that might be a, that might be a regional thing in the States. Cause like here in, here in Europa, <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of clients will if they want you to read, they're like, "Hey, I have a new mix. I fucked up. Can you? I know you have to start over. Can you redo it or whatever?" And usually, I'll redo it, and I'll just put it. I'll put on the invoice. You got this for free, you know, or whatever, <laughs> or or like depending on the amount of work. Because if it's a big project, you know, we'll do half price or something like that. Yeah, you know, it just depends. But I, I feel I feel your pain, brother. Yeah. Um, you know, I well, mean, you know, because of the pandemic also, I'm really trying to, you know, and everybody, all of the people who are trying to release music now, it's the only income most of us have. Right. True. And so I'm kind of trying to a lot of the mastering I do tends to always crowd around Bandcamp Day because people are like, fuck, I got to pay rent. Then Bandcamp Day is on Friday. So let me get this out. And, you know, and of course they need that money because there's no gigs. I mean, when, when gigs come back, I'm going to be a real fucking asshole about it. Everybody beware. <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 you know, but, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a very strange time and maybe you guys can talk about other things that, 
um, that you've encountered that you hope people learn a little bit? Yeah, uh, Kyle comes in with a question. I, th- I, I think we've already covered some of it, but what are what is the most common thing that producers think mastering engineers can fix uh, that they can't? Man, that is such a good question. I'm not even know. I'm not. Thanks, even sure. Kyle. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Um, I can't get your track signed to a label. How's that? <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, acoustically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think a lot of, um, especially in techno, a lot of artists, um, they they might give you a, a mix down or a tune that's kind of muddy, and you have to clean that up. And they maybe they expect you to, like Miguel said earlier, sound like another artist. But really what that means is, can you take my track and make it punch through? Um, I got a little trick. Um, I mean, we have an outboard transient designer. There's also plug-in transient designers um, that can be used to create a bit more slap um, pre-maximization. However, um, I, I do this. I just take 1K and push it up a little bit, not broadband. <laughs> yeah. And that 1K and maybe 14 kilohertz, it just makes it a little bit punchier. doesn't sound great, but, um, yeah, I don't know. People, people have different expectations on what they would like you to fix. Usually it's voiced before the process begins. Um, yeah, but the most important is we don't fix. We don't go to fix. Well, I think yeah. the word is correction. So, and correction has a lot. Yeah, of correction. But, yeah, but, but the people think that when they send you the, the track, something magical will happen. Yes. No. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, we don't fix. We are not the 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 man in the in the in the in the garage or something like that. No. Do fix. you, um, Miguel, do you also, we, we prepare, prepare the files for, for the, for the pressing plan, for the streaming, for the, as you want, but it's only, um, I think sometimes some, some clients want, um, I mean, they send in their tunes and we, we offer a thing now where, I mean, it's, it's quite basic, but basically you send in your pre-masters, and I'll check them out before we commit to the job, mm-hmm. um, which is important. And there are some clients who are like really passionate, like I really want my release to have that professional sound. And that's when you have to write that email with extra special care saying, hey, listen, you're on the right path. There is a, there is a balance in your music. However, I think at this point we you but we should consider doing mix down service or even yeah. stem mastering because yeah. in the in the stem or mix down mastering process then you know i know myself i'm able to really work things yeah. much better yeah i i offer all three of those i offer stem mastering mix downs and mass and, and stereo masters for that reason and, and generally with with people where i hear that there are maybe some problems uh, or some things that they can correct. I offer that. Of course, I never push it because, right, like I don't want to seem like I'm pushing something more expensive to people just to get more money out of them. Um, But I try to offer 
like, hey, if you wanted to do this and your end result is to have something ready to release, but you want to give me a little bit more flexibility to deliver the results that you want, let's do this because it's almost STEM mastering is a way to sort of meet you halfway. If you did half of the good, half of the good full job of a mix, and then you want me to take it all the way home to a place where I can deliver a great master, it's a great in-between option where you're not giving me everything to work on, but it's enough that I have that control to add that extra bit of stuff that, so that it does have maybe like Miguel was saying, that magical quality um, that I can't, I just, there's things I can't do in a stereo master that I can do when I have, you know, five or six stems that I can adjust. Yes. And, and w- what is a good mix? Well, that's important for the people. Wow. Not because yeah. the people send you the mixes and, and you can listen and, okay, that, that's a half pipe mix, no? The, the, the you inside and, <laughs> and first that's not correct and um, it's it's difficult sometimes just to explain to, to the clients man you must you need to looking for a new balance in your mm. in your in your music you need to perhaps it's important to to let let the people understand the the how important is the the, the mic frequencies in the music, sure. in, in the in the in the listening, in all the kind of different types of music, especially lower mids, yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, I, I mean, I if, with, with techno and electronic, can you can you, can you uh, elaborate on that? Because that's an interesting thing you don't really hear about that that yeah. much. Yeah, because I feel that the, the people put too much interest in the in the, in the low end frequencies. Because they have the reference from the club, from the from the car, from yeah. a lot of different places that have big sound systems with subwoofers and really really big speakers, um, and it's a it's a, it's, it's a incorrect uh, reference, no? Right. Yeah. So it, you're really talking about translation. Is, you're talking about how it translates on smaller systems and and the, the systems that people tend to listen to way more on than on on club systems or car systems. Yeah, well, like but, but at, at the moment of, of mix, mixing, they need to put more more focus in the mid frequencies, about I, to obtain more present, more punchy sound, more definition, more movement in the stereo. A lot of different things that not only the 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 the, the, the bass kick in your face. No, that's just. Not, <laughs> this yeah, is I not, know. What, I know what you're saying. Like the the focus, the you know, like when I lis- when I listen to people's pre-masters or just techno in general, um, new tracks. The first thing I hone in on, the first thing I I pay attention to, is how the kick is reacting with other elements in the low end. And how they mechanically work because they should not fight for space. And um, I know as engineers, the first go-to frequency to notch in order to yeah. have the track function better is lower mids because lower mid six hundred, yeah, the famous well, a little dip. bit lower, more like two to two hundred two fifty. Um, but there are a couple producers, man, who just they work with less bass in a way and like there's a kick and there's percussion and there's baseline parts 
but all the parts mechanically work together. Um, nothing is fighting for space. There might be a little bit of bleed, like a bleed decay time, but the bleed decay time either works and also adds kind of a harmonic kind of vibe to the mechanics of the bass drum work with other percussion. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a balancing act. I know for myself, that's even as a producer intuitively, I thought that's the thing I have to get right. Is how those yeah. drums work. It's not just yeah. About that's actually actually what what you started to bring up earlier, Tim. And and now I, I think uh, it, it's interesting to to bring up. You know how for for all of you because you're all both musicians and uh, mastering engineers. Um, did the the you know your knowledge about mastering improve your mixes or change even change the way you make music? Yeah, if I can answer first, and I'll shut sure. up. Um, basically, <laughs> like on like to piggyback on what you're saying, as I started to learn more about the mechanics of how those drums work or how I can make them work in that low and lower mid spectrum, um, yes, I became more of a mechanic on how to make all that shit work. But the, the, the drawback from that is that I lost my vision of composition. I was going to say, because doesn't it interfere with your, your, um, uh, just your sort of intuition, how, how to create things or make things funky gotta, or, you know, slamming or whatever. You I got to work around. I have like, I, I made a patch for myself. <laughs> um, basically I sit like on days that I feel like making patterns and parts, I sit around and I make patterns and parts, long evolving parts, sometimes three minutes, so you can duplicate them to make a six-minute tune. Sometimes I make them eight to nine-minute um, evolving patterns. Um, I've also done some sample pack stuff as well. So I'll build an arsenal of like all these different parts I've made. So if I ever get stuck in production, in the mechanics of making things work in the mix, and I can just go through my library and find something and you know have a working sketch. It got really quiet. <laughs> it sounds like a, like a Lego, playing with Lego. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I would love to come over to store and grab a piece, pieces of gear off the rack and just doodle. Um, and, but, and that's, that's a, it's a whole different conversation, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, to answer your question, the drawback is composition, you know, right. and I, I keep, I keep in mind that I have to, I have to reteach myself composition. I may even clone the flow of another track that I like. Well, that could be an, uh, that could just be seen as a as a really helpful exercise. You know, there's nothing wrong with um, cloning things if if you just uh, if you just you know use it to find out about I don't know about composition or whatever. Uh, it's a different different thing, though, if you <laughs> if you clone things and release it as your own. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, Kevin, Miguel, is, is it, uh, I, oh, I was I was going to say, say to Miguel just because Miguel, I I want to hear Miguel's answer because he's the one who just released. You know, he just got released on Jeff Mills' label, so <laughs> I think he's got a great <laughs> answer for 
being a mastering engineer and reaching kind of the the, the sort of producing well, that is still yeah, really vital. Not only good composition and mastering, but your mix downs, Miguel, are also yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I try, I try, I try. <laughs> but uh, does one thing stand in the way of the other thing? In in your case, do you still feel, although it uh, sounds absolutely amazing what you do, but does it stand in the way? Do you of, often get uh, moments where you think I'm trading things off now because of some knowledge I, that's sort of in the back of my head and keeping me from from doing things, or doesn't that occur to you? Sorry, it's a. Well, does does the you, you know the the knowledge you have over all these stages of creating music, uh, do they get in the way of of uh, some part somewhere down the uh, down it's the just, line? It's 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 a really difficult question because. <laughs> well, I mean, I there's know. such a thing. There's a, such a thing about being too conscious about something. So it it. Uh, I mean, creating music to me is a very intuitive yeah. thing, right? It's just something that is just, if in a, on, a, on the good day, it, 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 things just should flow out of your hands, basically. Yeah, but this and is yeah, and, yeah, and if, if, if so for some reason that flow is interrupted or, or is compromised by knowledge you have, because you know down the line it's going to be, it needs to be compatible with uh, whatever, you know, sound or whatever that, that you keep yourself from doing things because you know no, because, it's technically incorrect or something because i i try to 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 work like like in a in a chess match okay i try to <laughs> go two or three steps before hmm. uh, if if i go to for, for instance i go to record a, a drum machine i try to think about what preamp must i use or what compressor can be worked with the idea and try to think about before to do anything. Mm -hmm. Not and the same with with all the process. If if I let, let's imagine I am mixing in my one my tracks and I'm thinking what I need to do in the mastering process. Right? And perhaps I don't Finish it with the with the with the best mix that I can do, because I know that's my case. If in the mastering I push up some frequencies, I go to obtain the the, the glue that I need in the mix. Glue. Mm. That's that's an example, and um, or another example can I didn't push too much the low end because I know that. I don't need to push up the low end for obtain uh, a good kick or bass. I can excite in in the 120, for instance, in the mastering, and keep more dynamic in the mastering. I try to 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 think before to do something and think about all the process, the recording, mixing, mastering, and honestly, I, I don't obtain. Uh, a final nice product. If you can, you, you compare with other ones, but I I finally obtain that I have in my mind. You know, it's cool. And I can yeah. totally relate to that, to be honest, because I I do all, a lot of collaborations here in in uh, in the room and. Um, you know, it's usually it's just uh, 
connect a bunch of hardware and just press start, see where we end up, right? And uh, some moments are uh, uh, useless and, and there are moments when things click together, but then I can already imagine what it's going to sound like when it's properly balanced, you know, when because I, I know at the time, okay, yeah, maybe this, this instrument is going to be too loud or the bass line is just way too upfront or something like that, you know, anything... It might be it might be any detail that that is not coming out perfectly. I can basically already hear in my mind what what the possibilities with this recording are going to be when when I get every you know because everything is multi-track, so I've got all the the stuff separately, and uh, you know so I don't mind when that happens during the jamming part or the writing of the track basically because I know. Okay, so if I move this there and I and this is going to be balanced in such and such a way, it's going to be really really powerful, or it's going to be you know much more usable. And I'm basically recording things and tweaking things on the go. I'm not even running to the computer to fix it. Then I'm just already, you know, I'm doing it in real time, just with you know the the situation in mind that I know is going to be uh, it's going to happen next. You know what I mean? So. In that sense, it's it's the same as you. It's like you you are already thinking one step ahead, and you can kind of adjust your decisions to uh, to uh, to reach the an end goal, which may not be be apparent to who else is going, who else is in the room. You know, they might not hear the same thing, or they might not be triggered by the same thing as I as I am. So in that in that sense, I'm also thinking a step ahead, or sometimes two. You know, um, in that process. So. Yeah, but I think this is closer to some, like overproducing. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you need to, to don't complete the the, the 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 states that you're working because, like I said, told before, um, you have the reference of mastering music when you buy a record or you listen in the radio. Or do, the reference is a mastering process. Yeah, you can and, never and expect anything that happens in the studio yeah, to sound yeah. like a record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. You need to, to keep calm about to, okay, don't overproducing. It's, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. It's good. It's, it's a really good point. If, yeah. if, 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 if your production translates the idea, fine. That's good. Don't worry about Don't Don't decide too much frequencies. That, okay, stay calm. Please. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a it's really such a common point. it's such a common thing, you know, that um, you know somebody has like three parts running, and you know, like maybe a kick, a hat, and some some synth thing, and then you know they go straight in, you know, messing with shitloads of plugins, you know, just to tweak the, uh, and, and it's basically nothing is happening musically. It's just you know a fucking loop, <laughs> you know, yeah. like with <laughs> three elements. So there, at that stage, it's absolutely no. Uh, makes no sense to to start, you know, shaping the sound because you don't know what's going to be layered on top and how how that would sort of change the context of whatever you've been, you know, messing around with. So, uh, you know, even like things like people often ask me about kicks. How do you get these kicks? Well, I I don't even think about it until the last minute, you know, yeah. because you know usually the kicks in my in my jams or in my in my in, while it, while I'm producing it are basically you can just see them as placeholders you know they're just they're there they're doing something but it's not like the final one it'll get its final shape when I get to the last stage of the of the mixing thing that's um, interesting because that's where where everything sort of starts to click together and the context arises you know it sort of emerges from from whatever you would what so do you find are. yourself do you find yourself replacing kicks no not really well yeah sometimes yeah well yeah sometimes but 
mostly not but it's but the shape or the 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 sculpting <clears throat> the sound sculpting on the kick is something i leave for the last you know it's it's i i usually throw things in and it's it's already in the ballpark you know so it's not like yeah. completely removed from the end result it's sort of there but i'm not worried about the final sound when it's time to judge the final sound because you're shaping it to what the rest of the track needs after the, yeah, after I mean, you've discovered what that track is, every, yeah. Every sound is just as good as as uh, how how it sits in the context of other sounds, you know. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Write that down. That's really good. <laughs> well, I mean, you can put that on a T-shirt. You can have a single of your biography. Yoko uh, well, Pop. The, the, <laughs> What is it? Every sound is it? Oh, see now I've lost it. It's so good. You have to repeat that. That was perfect. Well, it's. I don't even know what I said, but it's recorded, so uh, you you can do the t-shirts. <laughs> Audio is like no, like but I mean no, but it's true though. I mean, you know, if you we we're talking about mostly uh, instrumental electronic sound, right? And that's basically um, uh, stuff that you listen to and leaves a lot of. Uh, space for the imagination of the listener you know it's mm. like you you provide a backdrop basically that's what you do when mm -hmm. you produce electronic music mostly i think anyway but um so so basically the the relation between the sounds and the way the whole thing is balanced you know is 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 as as important as what you're saying with uh you know what story you're telling or what 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 is the you know the the message if you will of the of the track you know what is what is the attitude or what is the you know uh yeah i would say attitude is a good word um but you, yeah you never you you only reach the 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 actual strongest version of what a track can be if you mess around with all these elements mm -hmm. and find find uh, the best possible uh settings to you know convey your idea to uh, to the outside world basically uh, and that doesn't always mean the individual sounds are uh, amazing sounding when you solo them. It is how they work together. That's really true. And and I also think, yeah, you mean you, you, you raise a good point that you can have, you can sit down to create. And if you've spent four hours making a perfect kick, it will be very hard to do anything else that doesn't feel like it's going to disturb all of that work. You know that you've what? If you if you created the perfect kick and 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 you spend a lot of time on it and you add a baseline, the whole thing can fall apart again. You know, it's yeah, like exactly. your kick might you your kick might only need half of the decay that it's had that it has. You know, or or yeah. you know what I mean? It's just it's pointless. Yeah. Uh, redneck discotheque. Welcome. <laughs> uh, do the guest. Uh, find more ease using simple bass hi-hats kicks or synths produced oh um i don't know what about you miguel you use a real one real one yeah acoustic one. ones the acoustic one yeah 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 <laughs> good answer <laughs> <laughs> no but, but, but perhaps you can use the, the booth, booth too I, i'm i'm really friend to 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 apply a lot of layering in the in the tracks because you can obtain the, the 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 release of one kick and also the attack of other kick, and mm. you can combine obtain two different sensations one in one sound. You don't need to, to sacrifice or choose one or other. Use two. Use. Yeah, I'm too lazy for that, man. <laughs> I, yeah, find, I, mean... <laughs> I, I find I find it's fun <laughs> to have have like if I have them. You know, some of the machines. 
it's it's a funny thing because there are some machines that almost function like a sample. You know, like mm. if you go back to the same drum machine every time, how different is this recording of your 909 going to sound from yesterday's recording of your 909? So I think the samples can be good. I think my advice is always, if you can, make your own samples. Because then you really own the identity of everything that you're using. Then you've really crafted it in a way where you understand the ingredients of it. And then you can take it in a direction, like you said, Yofam, where you know how to add what it needs. Um, whereas when you're using somebody else's samples, it, it becomes a, a bit of a, a, a combination of lots of different people's uh, input. <laughs> I see this comment from uh, Robert. He was on the show last week and uh, he's obsessed with kicks, as he told <laughs> us. That's why I make kick-only tracks. But I would argue against that because, um, you know, in Robert's case, for example, and in some other music too, if you go to the more like industrial types of music, you know, the kicks provide not only the kick, but the bass and, and lots of the mid and high frequencies as well. You know, it's like an event in in the music and uh, you know uh, what i'm talking about is just like the the supporting sort of based bass drum standard bass drum kind of thing you know not you know you you can go like total sound designy and and make like a an insane sounding massive you know skyscraper kick you know <laughs> but that's not what i was talking about <laughs> anyway uh yeah i'm i'm just, i'm just uh, interested in in um in this this whole uh you know the thing that goes on in your head when you are uh, when you're producing stuff with all that extra knowledge, you know, um, that you have of you know sound and how it behaves and how it should end up, uh, you know, in in the final recording. If that in somehow helps or uh, works for you or against you, if you're if you're producing, that's basically the the thing. I mean, okay, so Miguel is is the 3D chess player who knows everything he <laughs> can imagine the, everything till the last step um, three steps ahead of himself yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> which that's is great good. yeah that's also a good thing when you're djing is to be three records ahead of yourself yeah three tracks for sure yeah um i'm a big fan of i mean i have the 808 the 909 um and i believe the 909 kick is like the ultimate anchor for creating tracks period um however um it was a uh, Dustin Zahn was the first one to show me how to properly like layer multiple sample kicks in the session and get them in phase and actually mm. have them react a specific way. Um, and I really dig, I, I dug that lesson from him and I still, you know, that the problem with that is that you have a session and you have like four channels of kicks balanced you need to congeal that so when you're scoring the tune, you don't have to, you know, balance the four channels of layered kicks. Um, the other thing I really dig when it comes to kick drums is Punchbox from D16 is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I've actually made bass lines with uh, the Punchbox. But in Ableton, if you load, um, I'm getting really specific, but um, you've got like a kick, 4-4 four, four kick as an anchor, and then you load um, an impulse instrument to a MIDI channel, you can actually load sample kicks in there. Um, and I forget the function, but it's like there's on each sample, you can click G 
Jesus, what's this? What's the setting? It's basically where it it loses the transient. So then you just get the decay of the kick. Mm. So you don't get slap. And then you can like put these different kicks with different velocities around the four four kick and get kind of a shuffled, you know, drum work. I know there's all kinds of different ways to approach it, but I mean that's uh, that's 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 my strong point. That's where I live when I produce <laughs> is trying to get like the ultimate shuffled kick drum sequence or so. Um, yeah. Here's Bob with the news. <laughs> <laughs> Dorbachev dropping in a what's up, guy? Dor Dorbachev, uh, was there an aha moment? You knew your mastering service was good enough to sell. Ah. Uh, do you mind if I go with that one? Sure, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, I, I started. I started cutting on a, a Scully Westrex cutting lathe in 2004 doing my apprenticeship in Brooklyn, New York. And back then people would send in their pre-masters and essentially you would, you know, maybe do some in the box uh, primping to the tunes, uh, you know, be, like in preparation to transfer them to disc and then just, you know, cut, cut the record and the record was, you know, the master disc. Um, and it wasn't, I, I, I remember I took on ghostly international as a client and, um, I did some stuff for Audion and, and different artists and Sam Valenti who owned, uh, who owns uh, ghostly owns and operates. He, he said, you know, one day it was in the late 2004, he goes, Hey man, you know, can I get, can I get the, the audio files from you? And can you, you know, can you make them a little bit loud? so I can sell them on Beatport. And that was the crux when I realized, okay, so not only do you want me to cut your plates, but you need the audio files to sell. Um, and that was my aha moment where like, okay, let's work out a fair price where I release your mastered audio files, so to speak, that you can use for, for sales. And, and, you know, even, even back then, um, I, I was selling my stuff on, on Beatport when Beatport was in its infancy. And since then have gone back and remastered the, those tracks because techniques are completely <laughs> different now. Okay, yeah, yeah, talking about that, because, um, what, what are the usual mistakes when you get into the mastering thing? Is it maybe doing too much to a track or something? What is, what is the, what are the easiest one to to um, to miss? I mean, I I think a lot of mistakes in mastering um, tracks that are over compressed, um, too much high frequency energy, you know, like no low end and just like this. Oh wait, I guess it would be on this side. The high, <laughs> the high shelf is just like, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no acoustic transient like definition. I mean, these are bad, but there are tracks out there that were hits, that were over compressed, and people play. Oh, and, sure. You know, they still transcend to the audience or whatever. Yeah. Um, but back then, there was no like digital uh, penalty for being too loud, um, yeah. as we have it now. 
I think one mistake that um, that is very possible when you start out mastering is thinking that your only job is to make it louder, which is, and that's a perception that you get from clients, right? Clients want, clients are only thinking about it getting louder. And it's very easy to fall into that trap of thinking I made it louder. So it's, it's better. Um, when in fact you have to make it better before you make it louder. And then if it gets louder, great, but it's a better loud track rather than a loud track. That's no better than it was when it was right. turned down. Um, that's to me, that's a mistake in mastering. I mean, back to the question of like, when did I know my music was, or when did I know my mastering services were, were good enough to sell? It was, it was when other people told me, you know, I never said, okay, I'm a mastering engineer because I, you know, uh, went to the Barbizon Academy of mastering engineers and got my diploma that said, here you go. You're allowed to do this. Um, you didn't go to the Barbizon? I went to I, I went to Barbizon for modeling school. I went to modeling okay. school at Handsome Boy Modeling School, but I did not go for mastering engineer. No, uh, I um no, you know, really, what it was was when someone else told me, like, "Hey, this is great. Like, do you mind if I release this?" And I had to take a second and go, "Well, I mean, is there a reason why they shouldn't release it, or is there is there something else that someone else would do that I can't do, um, or that I think?" is missing here. Um, and you know, at that point I spent some time with Tim and I spent some time with my friend Alden Tyrell in Rotterdam where you are, Joachim, and, um, and just kind of like talked to other engineers about their, their workflows and their processes and compared that to mine and started thinking about, okay, well, you know, maybe I could improve on this or that, and maybe I need to do a little bit of work here, but I'm, I'm in that direction and I'm going there and people seem really satisfied when I give them, you know, a master for them to play, I put enough work in that I know where things need to be and they give me feedback and the feedback is positive enough and they want to release the stuff that I give them. And it's a, it's a process. I don't think there was a, there wasn't a moment, there wasn't a certificate that I received in the mail. It was just a, it was a process as I went, you know. What about you, Miguel? Were you a mastering yeah. guy first or, or a musician first? Um, I don't remember. I think musician, musician, yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But about the mistakes, I think mm -hmm. that the, the biggest mistakes is because so, sometimes happens to forget that you are helping people. Hmm. Yeah. That's the, the, perhaps you go really deeply in, in, the, in the music and you forget. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. That's, I, I need to 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 listen this in a technical way, and I need to help this 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 client because mm -hmm. he he's he have some he's pet something something great about the work without destroying the idea. And in the moment that you because I know that the feel you know the feeling that when when you are working too much in a track and you try to push the track or, or try to obtain a good sensation, a good feeling. And you, you, you don't obtain that. But when you stop and think, okay, think a, a little bit and okay, I go to help this 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 guy. Yeah. I go to, to to listen without any intent intention about to okay, I go to relax and let the, the track part in the in the speakers 
I don't I don't want to go inside the speakers. No, and that moment you only, you only need to put two two points in the queue a little bit in the that's all that and mm-hmm. that's perhaps the, well, the biggest well, mistake to forget. Let me ask all of you this, you know, I mean, um, so people have, you know, most, a lot of producers have a very, have a, definitely have a preference for who they want their stuff to, to, to master their stuff, right? Uh, and you're all saying that you are basically uh, trying to be as neutral as possible and just bring stuff up to um, industry standard levels and, and sort of uh, harmonics or whatever. Um, so, so why true. so why is there a preference for it? Because it, pretty much you could by saying that it is basically you're you're sort of uh, reducing your job to a technical one, uh, and still people do have uh, preference for one person over the other. Is that just a personal relationship, ah. or is that a flavor that they're looking for? Style. Still? Well, yeah. I you know, I'm, for instance, I could give I could give. <laughs> I could give Miguel, I, I like I, I would like I could give Miguel, and, um, what's your name, Kevin? Um, I could give them like, basically a set of two tunes of mine, and I trust that both of them are going to achieve like almost similar results. So yes, there is style in the mastering process. However, there is kind of like an end standard that. You know, we all hear. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I know, for instance, like in Berlin, there's it's like land of the mastering engineer, um, and I mean, you can you can pretty much expect like, yeah, basically that's what I'm saying, like a similar result. Really? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, but it also goes back to like what the client wants. For instance, when I was mastering all the ambient stuff for you. It didn't need to be maximized. It just needed to be curated and treated. It needed to have like a certain amount of treatment to it. You know, um, that may have more wiggle room for style. Right. Like like tracks or like certain compositions. um, More functional music, you mean? Like, uh, yeah. Engineers might meet. Like there's kind of a red, the red book standard is described for CD duplication. But like when I think of the red book standard, you know, it's like, you know, loudness and it's format. There's like a typical format for the end product of a master. And then everything before that is style. Right. Okay. Okay. I would, I would disagree on some of this. I I think that okay. uh, I, I think there's something in between all of those, which is that, that Tim is right on some level that, you know, you can give uh, three mastering engineers the same pre-master and they'll all come within 10% of each other. But I think that that 10% is sometimes the important part of the decision for someone, yeah. right? Because, it, you know, if everything... If everything is going to be the same, then really your decision is about the small differences, and those small differences can be significant. And I also think that the the relationship is important. Is this do I, do I trust this person to come back to me and discuss questions or communicate with me in a way that is going to be positive for me? And and most importantly, I think this is getting back to the beginning of the conversation where I said you know the most important tool 
that the engineer has is their ears and their experience. You know, is this someone who has the kinds of experience and maybe even the kinds of other clients that I want to be, that I want to fit in with, that I think I'm going to go to? You know, I, I mastered something for uh, a, a client um, a, a few weeks ago and they were super happy. And she said, oh, I, I love this. You know, I have a friend who, uh, who has an indie rock band. Do you, you know, do you master that too? And I said, yeah, because I, I can. Now, am I going to be the first choice for most indie rock bands? Probably not, because they wouldn't have heard of me. But there probably will be people who've heard my records or seen my DJ sets or heard other masters that I've done for other clients that I've had who will choose me on that basis. And I think that that's a natural, proper fit. Um, and to, so to that end, it, that's the other end of the spectrum. Yes, things will be, you know, 90% of it sound pretty similar, but that other 10% matters. And, and also that other 10% is kind of defined by the relationship and who I am, who you are, what your music is and how your music fits with all the other stuff I've done. Hmm. What do you yeah, think, Miguel? Do, do you need to understand the, the client? Especially, I I think in the in the first works, the the mastering are not good enough because you need to to understand what he need, what he expect, what and what is the, the idea that he put in music, and yeah, I, especially with with all my clients, the first tracks are not good enough, and at the beginning, and I need three, four, five masters in session until I understand to the client. Never, never happened good in, at the first, at the first shot with the new client. With an all one, I, I know what he, he's bad or she's bad and, and everything is, is, is easy. And mm -hmm. Yeah, communication, scaring talk is, is It's really, 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 really important. Always, okay. finally, everything is about to uh, interaction between two person and and <laughs> and working for 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 do something that they can do or or they 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 don't understand the because at, at the end this is really really it's it's, it's easy. Oh. It's, you, you don't need to make too many changes. You don't need to 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 over processing the, the the music. You only need to to go forward and and understand the people. Right. Yeah. Good one. Looks uh, like we lost Kevin somehow. Yeah, we lost Kevin, but he'll he'll be back. I'm sure he'll be back. Mm. Um, a, in the I meantime, a... uh, Claudia Cas uh, asks. Do you set yourself a time limit to work on each track for mastering? So, yeah. What about you, Tim? Do you, uh... I have a I have a quick question that's like kind of off the record. So, mom is cooking, <laughs> and she's timing it right. <laughs> when? So, how long is the show? I know that's like I'm I'm doing a no no right now. Usually, usually about two hours. So, okay, cool. I'm gonna tell her to throw it in the oven. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I no less no less than 20 minutes per tune. I mean, if 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 I have to spend more time on something, usually it's because I need to ask for a new mix down. 
Okay, but is, would you say you can you can get it where you need it in twenty minutes? Then yeah, each track, yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, but then there's the recording time. Okay, so I was going to say be because like, you, yeah, okay, it would be like twenty minutes of like movement and like listening and checking out the different like parts of the tune, how it ends, how it begins. Um, you know, I have a vision. All of us, we have a visual, like dynamic um, view of the waveform, which tells you a lot about what's going on in the track without even having to listen. Um, so there's the movements, there's me patching in different pieces of gear um, and doing A and B um, and then hearing like hearing the, the, the A and B and the, the, the result I'm getting. Um, and then there's landing on, hey, this sounds great. I've done all I can do to get the track where I need it to be. And then I'll record it. Uh, Mom is not making meatloaf. She's making um, uh, uh, stuffed fried chicken fingers. It's American stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a true story. She's in there. She's like, I'm cooking. <laughs> so yeah, uh, no less than 20 minutes and then the recording time. And then, of course, after, you know, if it's a four track EP, you're looking at like, you know, almost an hour and a half. And then there's the, the end um, digital finalizing part and the upload. So, you know, for a four track EP and mastering could be two hours. And really, like, it goes by fast. I mean, if you work with an engineer who takes buku time to work on your music, maybe you're not working with the right engineer. In my <laughs> what do you think, yeah, Miguel? Is that, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, I'll be right back. The, the yeah, same, sure. same around 20 minutes, but it, it depends if you are working in that single track or you are working in the in an album or an EP. It's different because one track is, yeah, this is just listen, you, you're listening and start to work in the in the, the track 20, 25 minutes. But if you when you're working in, the, in an album, you need to 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 understand the context all the interaction between the tracks and you can obtain different results with with different tracks but when you listen single it's okay but when, when you listen all the tracks together don't have sense and you need to rebalance to oh, yeah, yeah. to to yeah and spend spend but for one track 20 minutes no more okay so since it's now everybody's going, you're staying here, Miguel, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I was, you know, since this is the Nob Twiddlers Hangout, I was going to ask each of you, uh, what is your latest favorite tool? And um, can you talk about the, what you like about the flavor, the subtleties, you know, like the, the real sort of subtle uh, things uh, this plugin in your case um, Allows Perhaps you to do. the the fat filter limiter. The fat filter limiter, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, because it's you, you can control really, really, really find the, the loudness. You can have a, a precise control about every transient, how, how much is reducing the 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 limiter, and you have different options, especially about the the, the oversampling. Give it you more transparent sound, more clear sound, and that is 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 really important for me now. The mastering chain. 
I've been I've been meaning to check out Fab Filter stuff. I'm so late in the game with that stuff. Did you Did you hear the question, uh, Tim? No, I'm sorry. I didn't like, know. okay, so you know, since this, this is the 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 Nob Twiddlers hangout, I like to get into the sort of uh, finger Spitzengefühl area. You know? So I I was gonna <laughs> ask each one. Yeah, I was gonna ask each one of you. Um, you know, what is the you know, if, uh, the tool you're most in love with, the thing that you're working with, you know, like, and, and just talk about the subtleties and the, and the, you know, the, the things you can get out of it and stuff like that. I really like to hear those stories. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. But I know not- you, you all have a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, choices, but you know, if you have to name one, what's the one that you are def- you know, desperately in love with and you'll use all the time. Or, or- uh, it's, it's not a plugin. It's this white stone outboard, analog saturator and it's american built <laughs> big old tubes Woo! um but it's a, it's on the it's on yeah, it's on the last stage of our analog uh signal chain and man it is just i mean it's incredible it really is like i mean well explain you, what it does you have I mean, it's 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 an amplifier, so you yeah sure. But I mean, what it sounds like? What do you get? What 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 does it bring up in the sound? What does it? How does it transform the sound? And you what, just get what, crazy harmonics. You can like you can load it very lightly and mm-hmm. get the kind of upper mid and upper high fuzz, um, or you can overload it and get what I call zonk. It's just like wonk, you know, like. What Kevin, we're talking about going nuclear when when it comes to not mastering, but like processing. Um, And yeah, it's just a really, really, it's a versatile um, um, piece of gear, but it's 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 a tube amp, Mm -hmm. stereo tube amp. Um, And it has a load. It has um, a function where you can you can only apply the load to the highs or the highs and mids um, or just the mids. Um, yeah, and it's basically like the main piece of gear between like the rest of the gear and the recording that will be your print for mastering. Right. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Other than that, I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but I love, I love isotope ozone and I know that's like kind of a, um, you know, for some people, they're like, oh, but if you know how to use the isotone ozone stuff, it it really makes a huge difference. But it's not for every body of music, that's for sure. It definitely has a sound. Do you feel there is a um, a big difference between that? You know, because mastering outboard is ridiculously expensive, right? That's just for people who you know either have a lot of money or it's their job. You don't you don't get like a mastering compressor just for fun, right? It's your, fuck around with but does it uh, for you and 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 the way you you like to manipulate the sound uh is hardware important or can everything in theory also be done in software can you get like up there in 99.999 percent with just software the i mean that's 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 a good question the what what the outboard signal chain and all of its tools yield <clears throat> Is this kind of like ex- extra ten percent? Ten when ten percent, yeah, right. And, okay. and when when you do an A and B, like for instance, let's say I take a tune and I do all in the box mastering, sounds great, maximize, bing bang boom, good. 
And then I take the same tune and I do the same processing. Um, and I do an A and B between both masters. They sound comparable, but with the trained ear, you, you can hear, you can hear the psychoacoustic difference. Um, like on a loud system, when you're in a club, that difference is there, but it's harder to like, like tune into it the same as you would in like a clear linear, uh, like flat studio. Mm. Hope that answers your question. Someone asked what. Yeah. Florian Mindel, what is the name of the tube amp you just Oh, here we go. Florian wants to know exactly what we got under the hood. Are you dragging it out from your on from your shelf now? <laughs> no, I'm that. not in the mastering studio. I'm <laughs> I'm at home in my my little beat laboratory. So oh, got... I thought I had your mom cooking in your mastering studio. That no way! <laughs> <laughs> no way! I've got my my Focal Alpha 80s and right. Yeah. I've got my little consumer studio here, <laughs> but um, Whitestone. It's like PP. Okay. Well, here we go. So while while you uh, uh, so oh yeah, yeah Kevin, did you get the question because you were gone for a minute? Um, yeah, I'm sorry, you, my internet just decided to d disappear for a little few minutes. So oh no, worries. I had to bring it back. Um, no, I was just I was just uh, uh, asking everybody what is their f you know favorite tool, and especially I like mm -hmm. to hear you talk about like the subtleties in in sound, you know, like the the sort of the real the, the things it brings up in the in, in the sound, the, the things you can do with it, like your favorite piece of kit that you're using regularly in your chain. Um, well, I'll, OK, I'll talk about two things that are a big, big favorites of mine. Um, one doesn't really have a lot of subtlety and the other does. Um, I'm a big fan of the Sonox plugins. Um, I think that the, the Sonox stuff is really high end. It's really well developed. Um, so I've started using their digital limiter because I think that their limiter gives a lot more depth and control than many of the other things out there. I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the waves L series as being this like ultimate, and I find that there's a little less control in it. It's just sort of a louder maker with with a lot of the like the L2 and the the L the L1 especially, but the L2 and L3 a little bit. Um, whereas the Sonox stuff gets uh, a little bit more refined. You can adjust attack times. You can adjust the onset. You can um, get get a little bit more control. And and I I just like that limiter being a little bit more involved so that i have those extra little places where i can move things because really like, like we've all been saying like the, the limiting is the last stage of the process so by the time you've gotten there you should have everything else right but to have that extra layer of control in um in in that limiter is nice and then i also really like the the brainworks midside saturator um, it's more oriented as a mixing tool, but it actually functions beautifully in if you use it in the right place in a mastering chain. Um, you know, uh, Miguel was talking about mid-side processing being, you know, one of the early parts of his workflow, and, and it, it is for me as well. And this is the opportunity, you know, I don't always use it just for saturating. Sometimes I'm using it just to divide and kind of as a mix within a mix, you know, with the stereo file, 
moving the stereo uh, image in different areas um, and pushing it around. Some, a lot of times it's saturating or, or not saturating certain parts of the mix. But it, it, what it gives me is the opportunity to break things into a different set of matrices, you know, as opposed to the, the EQ matrix and the, the dynamics matrix. It gets a, a bit of a different way, a different window on the, um, on the mix so that while I'm mastering it, I can check like, hey, you know, I could actually saturate the low end here or maybe I can't saturate the low end there. But if I saturate the side, the high sides, wow, that really gives a lot of sparkle and a lot of width to the to the um, to the track. But also the saturation happening in that area gives a little bit more creaminess or a little bit more lush space around the stereo field um, so that when it presents uh, on, a, on, a, on a really nice stereo system, you don't exactly know why it's not wider in the sort of radio stereo kind of like pop sense, but just, there's a little bit more up here, you know, literally like it feels like there's space around your head or around your ears and things happening outside the outer boundaries of the mix that feel more lush and, and more alive. So those are the two things. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, let's see if there is anything that uh, comes up in the YouTube uh, questions and the Twitch uh, comments. Uh, if anybody has like last questions or last uh, urgent things to to address uh, to us, um, and yeah, one one thing I was I was wondering. Um, there seems to be a lot of overlap in in um, the process of making music or producing music, and and also the job of mastering. But uh, mastering seems to be more like a um, slightly more on the scientific side of things, you know, instead of the the creative side of things. But I do think you can still um, make creative decisions, and not necessarily to change the music, but to solve a problem in different ways, right? Because mm -hmm. um, there can be all kinds of things happening that you need to take care of, uh, which can be done in various different ways. Um, so do you, do you find yourself trying things out during the process? Like, uh, mm, let's try this thing and maybe not, I'll take it off again and use something else instead, see how that works. Is that something that, that occurs a lot in, in, uh, in the process? Maybe I, th I think it should be. I mean, I think there always should be a thing where you, because you if you if you only do what you know in mastering um then you will never find another layer you'll never be able to enhance beyond a certain point that you offer then then you really are limiting the off the the services that you offer a client the distinction mm -hmm. i would make between my creative musical practice in, in terms of my art like me as an artist versus me as a mastering engineer is that I think there's no such thing as a wrong result when I'm making my own music. There's no, there's no limit on what I do. There's no wrong. Um, in mastering, you can get things wrong. There, there's definitely like, there are ways that you can destroy things for people or, or give them a, an incorrect result that can, you know, get rejected by a distributor or get sent back by a, a, a vinyl cutter or, um, or just have something wrong so that when it does play back on a system, that wrong thing is very apparent, very apparent and, and it destroys the enjoyment of the listening experience. So there, there are things you can do wrong as an engineer, you know, it's, we're, we, we, 
we use the term mastering engineer. We don't use the term mastering artist, right? You know, like yeah, I, that's true. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mastering engineer in that it's my job, you know, in the same way that like, you know, an architect designs a building and the, the, the architecture of a building might go like sideways out, you know, one window going out this way and, you know, the door is really big and then the window is really small and, you know, like all kinds of crazy shit. You know, architecture can, can be very creative, but every architect needs to get their designs approved by a structural engineer who's going to say, you know, listen, if you do this, like, you could kill people, right? A structural engineer has to sign off on something and say, as an engineer, I can say that this building is too heavy and it could fall over, or this building is too light and the wind can, you know, knock out the windows. Like there are, um, there are things that an engineer has to decide that are based in science and based in fact, as an artist, I want to be able to live out there, out in the world where that stuff doesn't matter and slowly bring that into the world where it has to live in the real world. But creatively, I want to live outside the real world for as long as possible. Engineering is about making those ideas function in the real world. And in the real world, this stuff is going to get played on a, on a sound system where, you know, somebody's job is to make sure that sound system doesn't blow up or doesn't hurt people's ears or doesn't, you know, shut down in the middle of the night. And part of our job as mastering engineers is to make sure that the pieces of music that we give people to play on those systems functions well in that real world. Very well said, Kevin. <laughs> That's Sorry, nice. that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin for Prez. No, yeah, I love you, Brad. <laughs> I, I mean, we're running out of time, but I see all these really interesting questions coming in at the last minute. Uh, for example, one quick one. Oh, okay. That's Sander bringing this in. Uh, Dana Redhook, what is the best dither option for exporting from Ableton for techno? POW1. Anybody want to talk about this? I mean, dithering is, um, yeah, added noise. Um, I would say he, he, use your ears to decide yourself <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can tell the difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I always I always tell my clients either low low amounts of dithering, um, whether like that would be like triangular, but um, Ableton, I think, implements um, POW er dithering. So there's POW one, POW two, POW three. POW one is the lowest. Um, dithering is a whole nother conversation I would love to have with you right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, but, uh, I can see your face is smelling dinner. So maybe this one then, uh, do months, do the mastering engineers have a favorite pair of headphones? They check things on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I got that one too. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> I mean, these are what are you wearing Miguel? Which Say one? hi, sir. Okay, okay. Which, but, uh, which ones? You, the HD25s? The, the HD25s, yeah. yeah. I think these are like the best consumer headphones for the money. There are other like, there are other headphones out there for, that are great for mixing and even mastering. Ah, I forget the brand um, for mastering, but they're like 2K, 3 Yeah, Audis, you mean. Yeah. Audis, yeah. 
And I'm 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 like have you, know, you tried that? Um, uh, well, Mike, Mike Grinzer in the studio, he, we have a pair in the right. studio, um, and he swears by them. Um, however, I think for, uh, like, I don't expect the person who is asking the question to run out and spend three grand on a pair of headphones. So I would go with buyer dynamic. Um, it just depends on if you're a, a closed ear person or an open ear person. And I believe the open ear was designed, um, for vocalists to hear themselves in the vocal booth. Um, I'm a closed ear guy. I prefer the pressure um, to be able to hear exactly what I'm hearing versus crosstalk from other things happening in the room. But I, yeah, I love these. I think you're wearing a pair of these, aren't you, Yogum? Yeah, yeah. But I've got the Sony's as well, and in fact, also the Sennheisers. It's a by coincidence. I don't know. <laughs> That's my three pairs. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, cool. Thanks, guys. That's a good one. Uh, I think we should uh, we should sort of uh, uh, you know uh, close the the talk by now. But uh, usually, I give. Um, oh, okay. Last one then. Aura is big asking. question. <laughs> really big one. Um, does it make sense at 42 to becoming mastering engineer? Sure. Yeah, I so. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be, I'll you know, be at if the... you, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. If your hearing is still good, if you can still, yeah. Yeah. If you spent those 42 years, you know, doing nothing related to music, you might have a very, you might have a hard time, but if you spent those 42 years or, you know, let's say 10 of those 42 years, listening deeply to music and working hard on, you know, uh, learning all the different aspects of making something sound good, then you're probably closer to being a mastering engineer than you realize. So, you know, it, it's not a long road from there. It really depends on where you are in your life with your relationship to, to audio engineering. Well, I don't know if you know Aura, but Aura is a, is a, is a, an amazing sound artist and, and musician. So, um, he, uh, so there you go. Definitely, I'm definitely sure he can. Uh, he can. He can. Uh, I would. To... I would suggest like um, Aura. I would. I would suggest just like taking on some mastering jobs from your friends. You know, yeah. your friends who yeah. are doing some projects. Like that's how I fell into it years ago. People magically came to me and were like can we work on my album and you know so work on some stuff with your friends and see if you can uh like miguel said help them um reach the music reach a, a higher plateau mm. yeah yeah okay well Thanks, guys. Um, usually at the end of the talk, we give everybody a moment to promote or push or uh, um, uh, plug their uh, their stuff. So um, is there anything you want to talk about, Tim? Anything that you have coming up, maybe a release or I, I, you were you were building a new mastering room, right? So when when is that going to be ready and stuff like that? Just whatever so you want to. We want everything you want to share. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Tim Xavier, Manmade Mastering, uh, partners with Mike Grinzer. Uh, visit Manmade Mastering, manmademastering.com. Um, we, yeah, we're we're in operation now. We specialize in, yeah, mastering, analog mastering, stem mastering, mix down service, and also cut master discs for vinyl manufacturing. And in hopefully, in quarter four at the end of the year, 
we will be sitting in our new acoustically treated rooms. Um, the rest is, um, yeah, I have my face-to-face -face label on uh, Beatport and my limited 400 label on Bandcamp, which I recently uh, populated with like uh, old minimal techno dating Yay. back to 2004. <laughs> oh man, I had to revisit all those tracks and remaster them. So all the minimal techno from the era from 2004 up through 2010 has been remastered. So limited 400 on Bandcamp. And that's it for me. It's been a pleasure uh, uh, talking with you guys. Damn, I, I must say, you know, I was tr I was going to go, you know, bring up final cutting and, and, you know, lots of speakers, you know, stuff. I mean, just hours and hours of stuff that I would want to talk about. But anyway, uh, Miguel, anything you want to share with people? Your yeah, album, yeah. for example. Album? No, no, album yeah. no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or wait, wait, wait. To Quit two days and let's see what happens. No, <laughs> no this this weekend I have um, um, streaming from the from the people of Re Reclaim Your City. Oh, the cool. Greens oh, cool. FM. Um, no releases for, but I'm working on something new. Fantastic. When, uh, yeah, I'm working in a, in a mix of rock, jazz, and electronic wow. music. Wow, cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know when will be released, but, but I'm working hard on it. Yeah. Well, man, if it's as good as your techno, your techno is amazing. So I'm sure yeah. anything else yeah. you do is going to be great. Uh, you do know the, the Beaches Peru from, from my ladies? Yeah, of course. That, that, yeah. that, 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 wow. that flower, that feeling, that something in that way. That sounds very promising. Very cool. <laughs> wow. yeah. I can't wait to get to get a to get a peek on that. Um, yeah, I, I think I need one year more for free. <laughs> oh well, I'm pay we'll, we're we're gonna be patient. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, man. Um, Kevin, anything you want to share with people? Uh, well, uh, go to valence-studios.com. That's uh, where you can see about my services and about my studio. Um, Right now, I well, for the last year, I've been doing um, extreme discounts on everything I'm doing because I want to make sure that artists who have no other way to survive have a way to release their music uh, in ways that is affordable for them so that they can make profit. So I'm, I'm no, doing discounts great. still uh, as long as uh, un until there's COVID, there's still going to be discounts. Uh, and... Um, I, you know, I, I, I still run my labels, Valance and Delft. Um, I just released, recently released um, something. Well, actually, I was talking about this the last time I was uh, on Knob Twiddlers, and now it's been out for a little bit. I released um, a track by a friend of mine who died. Uh, it was the only thing he ever made. Hey, Sigmund, there he Siggy. is, buddy. <laughs> Sigmund, what's going on, man? Old friends, long time. Carry on. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I released that with remixes from other friends of, uh, my friend Troy who passed away, uh, remixes from Magda, uh, heartthrob, Carl Craig, uh, Derek Placeco and more. Uh, so that's out on all platforms, Spotify, Apple music, Beatport, Bandcamp, all of it. You can find it anywhere. And yeah, that's it. 
Awesome. Got some other music in the pipeline of my own, but uh, I am under no pressure to release anything right now. So <laughs> I can't promise anything about when any of my new music will come out. You'll hear it when you hear it. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging out. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing the knowledge. Um, I would uh, want to direct people to our Discord server. That's uh, becoming a really nice community. We actually have a mastering uh, channel in there now. So cool. you're welcome to to drop by. Um, and um, um, yeah, it's sort of like uh, Discord is sort of like a real-time forum thing, you know, just w one massive WhatsApp chat kind of thing, uh, real-time. It's a really nice place to uh, continue discussing knob-twiddling-ish uh, uh, subjects, you know, outside of these talks. So uh, you're welcome to have a look there. And uh, we have a Patreon page for people who are interested in... Uh, getting some extra things like sound packs, masterclasses, uh, or just plainly want to support this project. And uh, we have a new store release coming up, which will be probably, we'll mention that uh, probably next week. Uh, it's going to be three EPs. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on. And lastly, we are going to switch to Twitch exclusively from... I think next week onwards, but uh, oh, maybe cool. if, if we don't make if we don't make it next week, we'll uh, we'll at least in the near future, and the next or the one after that episode will be uh, Twitch only from then on. And okay. um, so uh, yeah, just want to drop that and make people aware of it. Um, and other than that, it's um, yeah, only thing. Lastly, uh, just to thank you all again. Thanks for sharing the knowledge. Thanks for the for hanging out, everybody in who was watching this on YouTube and Twitch. And, um, yeah, have a good evening. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank thanks, uh, Miguel. And thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Ciao, 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 ciao,